I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. This is the last week of August 2022. My name is Rob Snow White. This is the Jeff Courier Podcast. The permanent sponsor is Tanthrew. Jeff Courier is the epitome of the globe-trotting fly angler. He has caught hundreds of unique species of fish on the fly rod. If you were to add up all the unique species that you and your fishing buddies have all caught, you would not come close to what Jeff has accomplished. He's been fly fishing for nearly half a century and has accomplished catch unique species in 60 plus countries. He spent two decades managing a fly shop in Jackson Hole. He's an author, brand ambassador, brand advisor, public speaker, artist, and international fly tournament angler. He's a living legend. If you're not familiar with him, go to his website, read his in-depth bio and accomplishments. You can buy his artwork there and his books and find out more. Plus follow his Instagram, which he keeps posting regularly to, You'll see fish on there that you did not know you could catch on a fly rod. As previously mentioned, this episode is brought to you by Tan Through. Get your tan on without looking like Casper the Ghost when you take your clothes off. Now you can get a tan through the most comfortable, best-looking swimsuits and shirts in the world. Whether you're at the beach, boating on vacation, or just relaxing in the yard, now you can get a natural suntan right through the fabric. The cool tan line of swimsuits and shirts not only let you get sun right through the fabric, they also are lightweight, comfortable, and dry extremely quickly. I was recently at the beach at the Delaware Shore, and I was walking around doing my shopping in my khakis. And guess what? In just a couple of hours of that intense sunlight, I got tan lines on my thighs. And I spent all summer wearing my tan through so I wouldn't get those. And I got these Caspery white-looking thighs. I got back from the beach, and it looked like I was wearing white board shorts when I was getting in the shower. So I got to go to the pool now after I pick my kid up at school and, and wear my tan throughs and I got to even it out because it's almost the end of summer. The pool's only open another week or so and I won't have enough direct sunlight in September fishing to get a tan. Not trying to get a tan, but I just want evened out. And yes, you still need to wear sunscreen underneath these. So when I did go out at the beach in my tan through polo, I sprayed myself all front and back and shoulders, walked around, it was perfect. Visit tanthrough.com for more information, find them on Amazon, or click the link in my notes for this episode. Now we're going to go talk to Jeff Courier. He may be in Mongolia, he may be in Saskatchewan, 
He may be in the Azores, the Seychelles, Peru, Kathmandu. I don't know. Find out if he's at home, on the road, or in a yurt. This is Jeff Courier's Time to Tell Stories on my podcast. And you, so you may see me turn my head like that. I'm outside on the porch enjoying this weather. So the hummingbird just showed up. Nice. So that's always really cool. I think these are some of the northern ones that are headed south. Where are you at? Northern Virginia. Okay, that's right. I knew that. Yeah. Just outside the Beltway. Yep. Not too far outside. Well, Jeff Courier, let's get started. Where are you now? Right now. Where are you? If you threw a dart at a map, where would it land? So I'm in uh, northwestern Wisconsin. I'm in Hayward, Wisconsin. Moved here uh, the end of May. To give you a better idea where that is exactly, it's about an hour and 10 minutes south of Lake Superior. Between here and Lake Superior, we have like 400 lakes and five rivers. It's, uh, you know, we moved here for the fishing. I have a background here in Wisconsin. I went to school here, you know, 35 years ago. Always had a kind of a, a urge to come back and now it's time. Here we are. We're finally here. Since you've been there, have you noticed the climate's a little different since when you were there 35 years ago? Yeah, it is. It's a lot warmer, a lot stickier. I do come back here often, even though I haven't lived here many years. In the winters, I come back and ice fish every year are like 20 degrees warmer. Way warmer. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, where to relocate in the future and already planning on places that are just going to be completely different than they are now. Yeah, one of the reasons we didn't move here so quickly is because it's such a cold place. I was telling my wife the last few times I came out for uh, ice fishing, I was like, you know, it's a lot warmer than, than you remember back in 1985. You know, she'll see this winter, but it, it really is kind of kind of scary, but it now makes it a decent place for us to live. All right. Since I have you now, I can finally ask the derivation of your wife's name. Is it like Madonna and Shakira? Is it just she just have granny on her driver's license? No, she has a real name, but you'll have to talk her into telling you what it is someday, Nick, if you ever see her. Okay. Where did the the pseudonym Granny come from? She's my old lady, but that's the short version. But uh, that's what she'll tell people, uh, her friends, to get them mad at me, of course. But uh, really, because she's such a good cook. And I used to run that fly shop in Jackson Hole, and I had a lot of kids work in retail for me. And... They'd be like, so, uh, you know, I need Christmas off or Thanksgiving. I'm like, no, that's not the way retail works. Sorry, buddy. We're going to have a Christmas dinner right at the courier's house when we all get off work. It was kind of funny because people would be like, wow, this cooking is just as good as my grandma's. And then somehow she started getting called granny. That's fantastic. We, and it we stuck. Check that off the list of questions I've wanted answered for many years. Yeah, I think a lot of people. Do you ever dream about fishing? When yeah. you're sleeping? Not very often, but yeah, definitely sometimes. Absolutely. And then you also had the talent in arts. Was that as you were a kid, someone noticed it? Were you just all of a sudden like fantastic with crayons and Crayola? Um, I think I definitely was born an artist. I got did a lot of detentions for drawing on the desk in school. Uh, my attention span was was pretty short if it was boring. Yeah, so I always drew, but I didn't know that I, I never would have considered myself an artist. And in fact, when I went to college and my first 10 years living in Jackson, worked at the fly shop, I didn't do, I don't think I did any artwork. And then when I wrote my book, my first book, my saltwater book, I illustrated it. I, you know, I had to do illustrations for it. When the publisher accepted the book, I had it all in black and white, pen and ink. They said, this is a great book. It would be even better if we could do it in color. So... Can you hire someone to do that? Well, hiring wasn't an option, so I locked myself in a closet for, you know, four months and taught myself how to watercolor paint. That was actually the best thing I got out of the book. Yep. Yeah, your artwork's absolutely amazing. Thank you. And Sharpie, is that the go-to for mugs and Yetis and such? Not so much uh, mugs. So, you know, the stuff that I that is imprinted on my coffee mugs and my T-shirts and my beer steins, that's actually... Uh, a nine by 12 watercolor with pen and ink over for the fine detail that is scanned and then put on there. But what people see me doing at shows is my Sharpie art. And kind of the way that came about is 
you know, I had a lot of friends or, you know, young people come to the show and they're like, man, I wish someday, someday hopefully I can buy a painting. And like, yeah, this is BS. You know, these people, they want to have a little piece of courage. I got to figure out a way to do something that doesn't cost much. One day a guy was carrying his yellow cliff fly box and I said, give me that thing. And I, I said, what's your favorite fish? He goes, I like muskies. And I drew a muskie on there for him. It took me like 20 minutes. And I'm like, you got 20 bucks? He's like, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, now we have something that people can afford. Not 20 bucks anymore, but I can do them for 50 bucks for people. I'll sit at the shows and do them all day long. Yeah, that's an amazing gift for anybody who's looking yeah. at I don't know if I would fish mine. They'll probably go up on the mantle. A lot of people do that, but they're pretty durable, and they actually look cool when they get scuffed up. Definitely put your name on fly boxes. I've had them bounce out of the boat, and I've dropped them, and someone actually found one with my name on it and number and called me. Well, Maybe. somebody found one of mine with my name on it because it was one of the Montana fly boxes that, that they do thousands of them. It was a rainbow trout. And this guy was certain that he had found the guy that lost the fly box. I'm like, no, dude, that's, I'm just, <laughs> but you can send it to me if you want. <laughs> that's funny. funny. Wow. So what I want to talk about today is sort of your, your life before the pandemic was globe trotting, public speaking, fishing shows, very active public out and about life. And then all of a sudden the world completely changed. How did that affect your fishing life and lifestyle and eventually you doing some van life during it? Yeah, well, it's a man, it's a long story. The first thing it did is, you know, I was lucky because it really didn't hit us until probably March. You know, I guess it was March when it got serious, early April when they started shutting us down. So most of my speaking season, all the big shows was done. So financially, I'd almost had an entire year of work already, which is the way it kind of works for me. But all my individual things, like I speak at clubs, you know, a couple of times a month, I might fly somewhere. All those got canceled, um, which was very depressing because I love to do that. I love to go, you know, do a presentation and talk to people and get in an airplane. That's that's fine with me. And then, of course, my travels, uh, you know, we got grounded. In fact, Granny and I were I was in Canada during my speaking tour when it really got shut down. Canada sent me home like I was supposed to speak in Calgary and I got to Calgary and they were like, we can't have any public speaking and i said okay well i'll head home and granny and i were heading to the cook islands and by the time i got home wow. to the u.s our cook islands was canceled so yeah you can only imagine how depressed and shocked we were but you know i'd say we picked up the pieces within two weeks you know because it was coming into that nice time of year april and we uh even though we we're technically all grounded you know stay home orders we hopped in our Explorer and uh, with all our camp and stuff and did like a two week trip. We're like, you know, we've never followed the snake all the way through Idaho, you know, because we were located in very eastern Idaho, southeastern. So we followed the snake all the way past Boise to the Oregon border, just camped and fished and had a great time. And uh, then went home and refueled. And, and I said, let's go do it again. And the next time we went up to, you know, did the northern part of Idaho. Long story short, once we adjusted mentally to, you know, losing trips and, you know, Granny lost her job in the very beginning there, too. Um, we thought it was cool because we got to just do a lot of the stuff that we hadn't done that was close to home. You know, I get on airplanes, I go 8,000 miles and I have for 30 years. And all of a sudden, finally, we're going to, like, go four hours away in our car and see some of the stuff in our backyard. So that part was good. Was your passport sad? Very sad got dusty I, you know i did travel i think we were able to go to belize by summertime and i did a permit trip to belize and then in the fall i went to mexico but nothing like my usual nutty type stuff um, all that got canceled but yeah how many, passport was lonely. how many passports are you on now what number so i mean i started traveling when i was 22 so i'm 57 and you know next month so what are they, 10 years? So there's, you know, five or six of them anyway. Wow. Yeah. And That's a lot of times I'll kill them and have to get a new one. They used to give new pages. Now you got to get a new passport. That sucks. So what about companies that you work with, like Winston, that sort of rely on you being out and about and using their products? And a lot of stuff before the pandemic seemed like fly fishing was turning into NASCAR. Everyone was just pro staff, everything on their resume, which is thankfully gone. But 
where companies itching for you to get out and show like, yeah, you can go out and still use our products. Yeah, I don't think there was ever any of that kind of pressure. I think if anything, there might have been some pressure to be like, you know, showing what I'm doing that that uses a fly rod and, and produces fun, you know, even during the COVID. And that was, like I say, easy to do because I was traveling around the state um, and crossing borders a little bit. We went to Montana and Wyoming quite a bit too. And it's funny people look at the license plate and give you roll their eyes. I'm like, yeah. I knew you were coming to the Henry's Fort this summer, so don't give me that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you know, all there were some companies that were, you know, obviously stressed when the whole thing went down. But all of them said, you know, let's all just get together and hang on. We'll get through this thing, and we did. How many miles did you put on the Explorer, and, and how many did it end up with at the end of its life? It's I still have it. Still going. So, yeah, so I bought the Explorer is my silver bullet, and I bought it uh, with sixty nine thousand miles about I don't know seven years ago. For three thousand dollars, it was in somebody's parking lot, and they had a for sale sign. And I went in there and took it for a test drive, and I was looking for a car, so I bought it. And I think now it has one hundred and thirty-seven. So you know, we probably did twenty-five to thirty thousand miles during the COVID. It's actually in New Hampshire right now because when we, we were homeless, since uh, we sold our house in August, and then we moved out of it in October, and we didn't find this house until May. So. I drove that with as much of my stuff as I could to my mom's house in New Hampshire, and that was kind of our base before we got the van. And then we lived out of the van all winter. So what were some of the locations you went to with the van? Uh, well, I picked it up in Phoenix. We drove pretty much the southerly route along the Gulf, New Mexico, Texas, did some red fishing out of it, went to Louisiana, followed the Mississippi River up into Arkansas, cut across into... Um, Mississippi and Alabama, up through, uh, te- you know, Tennessee. We actually stopped in Nashville and visited some friends and rocked it out for a few days. And then uh, up to the East Coast, and I did the East Coast shows, the Marlboro, Massachusetts show and the New Jersey show. Actually, that's not true because they canceled Marlboro after we drove all the way up there. It canceled like four days beforehand. But we did New Jersey. Then we drove to Denver and California. So we did, I already have 16,000 miles in the van. And we got it less than a year ago. So what were some of the fish you were seeking out? What did you catch? And and where were some of the places you went to? Probably, we did go to Texas hoping to catch a Guadalupe bass, but we didn't. Got some nice largemouths. But then we ended up going to, you know, when we went back, we went to it northeast, did that trip, and then we drove down to Colorado Show and then to Phoenix for two weeks. Carp fish, it was great, but the first new fish I got out of the van was a Sonora sucker. Got him on a uh, on a nymph, and then the next day I got one of the desert suckers. So those were the first new species from the van. Have you already started drawing them? Not those guys yet. Still got some more priority fish to get done. Right now, the priority fish to get done would be a bluefin javali. Right on. That's a pretty this, fish. This is my room, and I just really... It's not fully together yet, but I got my art stuff out like three nights ago. Because I don't know if you saw, I posted a Yeti bag that I drew on. Yeah, the sort of yellowish colored one. Yeah, and then I got some immediate orders from that. And I'm like, okay, time to get my stuff together. Did a cliff box today. Yeah, so I'm ready to go with my art now. Did a lot of, what, what did you prioritize that would go in a van versus did you have storage unit? for all the other things you've got to have quite the collection of fishing gear yeah we had a storage unit in idaho falls that we jammed as much stuff as we could obviously i was a little concerned about my fly rod collection so i got a buddy in casper who uh protects his house very well let's just put it that way so he's got most of my fly rods and then i kept like you know maybe six or seven of them in the van all winter that i knew i would need you know a couple trout rods a couple bass rods and a couple saltwater rods and uh, for the most part, I've had what I needed. I did when I drove my Explorer to New Hampshire. I packed a, ba- a saltwater bag, took one of those big orange Sims bags and just packed it with everything I need for saltwater because I was working in the Seychelles last November and December and then again in April this year. So I had a Seychelles bag and I flew out of Boston for every trip to the Seychelles. So what, would, that bag. what goes into an essential large bag for the Seychelles? 212 weights, three nine weights. That's the essential. And then good reels and backing to go with that. A couple backup fly lines. And then, uh, you know, I don't go overboard my flies. Maybe a dozen GT flies, 
pretty good assortment of crabs because I mainly fiddle around with trigger fish and permit and big bone fish. My clients yesterday both work in the dental field. So we're talking about fish with big chompers. We didn't get to trigger fish, but they're curious about sheephead. Yeah. Fish that have like real chompers. And those yeah. are trigger fishes go through flies. They just they do. Break they, them. They, bite, they bite hooks sometimes. And they're, you know, we're talking a serious hook. It's pretty incredible. Most guides that have been guiding the stage shows a lot of times can show you their hand and they'll have one oh. wound. Oh, no. It's unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's definitely YouTube videos out there of people putting things in their mouths to get chomped and then accidentally getting chomped. I'm not yeah. watching those. Yeah, I don't no. do the gory stuff. Be careful with all those fish. It can be dangerous. Any non-fishing items you would pack there, like sun protection? Because you're out a lot in the sun. Yeah, I definitely pack a buffalo and some sunscreen. I would say some of the important things for me would be snacks. Like I bring, you know, I, you know, a lot of people bring Cliff Bars. I work with a company called Gates Bar, so I bring those. I'm a chocolate freak, and you can't bring chocolate to the tropics because it'll melt. So I'll get all the chocolate energy bars I can get my hands on and, you know, munching those when I'm on the flats. This time of year, they'll come out with the frosted pumpkin pie spice or gingerbread spice cliff bars. Those are good. I bet they are. That's well, a treat. You never tried a Kate's bar, you should. They're made in Victor, Idaho, where we're from. Next time you fly Delta, you will try one because they just went on board all Delta flights this starting this month. I think they had those maybe at the Women's Showcase a couple years ago. Yeah, probably. Jen did. was probably passing them out. Yeah, Jen would definitely be passing them out. Yeah, yeah, I think I brought them back. We, we ate yeah. them. Absolutely. Really. What about a freshwater bag? What goes into a, if you got one of those? Well, it depends. You know, like today, my I had my musky smallmouth pike bag. So today, I packed a. Uh, I had a five weight with a double Chernobyl rig that I was twitching over the rocks for smallmouth. I had a seven weight with a uh, sink tip with. Pretty big clouser for smallies, and then I had my nine weight for musky, but we didn't see any. I might have seen a musky. We had a bear swim across the river today. That was that was our highlight. Wow! But I did, and I did catch a big smallmouth. If you look at my blog, probably by tomorrow night, I'll have it up there. I got a, you know an eighteen inch smallie that's just oh, beautiful. Yeah, we got some good fish today. It was a good day. You mentioned the Chernobyl. Were you out west when that first came to oh, fruition? Yeah. Oh yeah. What was that like? Just having some crazy new bug that didn't look like anything on the water at the time. Yeah, it was, what was crazy about it is how good it worked. It, how, how good it worked for a very short time before it didn't work as good. But I'll tell you how good it worked. One time, Brandy and I were going up one of our favorite creeks. Saw a nice cutthroat. He was in the corner. I knew he was looking for something to eat through Chernobyl. Made kind of a bad cast. Landed three feet to his side and behind him. Spins around, comes back, eats it. Land him. Unhook him. He swims back, pouty all back up almost to his pool. And there's another cutthroat about five feet above him. So I started making a longer cast. And before I landed that fish, I'm kind of measuring my cast. I drop it in the water again. Same cutthroat that ate my fly comes over and mouths it again. I'm like, what the hell? This is like, you know, back-to-back -back cast. And the same fish just ate the fly again. I'm like, come on, buddy. Are you serious? I let him go. And he goes back up to his spot, all pouty. And I give him like literally two minutes. And I throw it again. And he almost ate it again. But then he spooked. That's how good the fly worked. It was insane. But um, within five years, it still works, but nothing like it did at that time. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Cement Mobile for details. And it does imitate things pretty good. You know, we get a good cicada hatch in, in you know, in that part of south, southeastern Idaho and Jackson Hole. 
And uh, the tan body one looks like a hopper a little bit as well. So it's buggy. It's buggy. But the bass still eat it. They're not sick of it yet. So you're talking about, so 35 years ago fishing that and Granny's there. So did you meet her in Wisconsin and then she went out west with you? That's right. That's fantastic. Yep. So we're both glad to be back here. It It was in the radar for a long time. What's the, is, is it Culver's? There's like a burger and custard place in Wisconsin that's super famous. Don't know what it is yet. I think that's it. You might have to go find that with your Google Maps. I know Lining Kugel's famous. I know New Glarus Beer is famous. Yeah, I've not been up that way in, oh man, probably 15 years. It's been a long, long time since I went to Wisconsin. I need to go back. Yeah, it's good. Good place. Are you all down with the Friday fish fry? Well, we had one of our own the other day. We, uh, we There's a lake here that has just a zillion largemouth in it, and we whacked a couple. You know, it's there's no limit on them. Um, it's no size limit. I think you take five, but no size limit. So we grabbed a couple 12 inches and had them for dinner the other night, actually on Friday night. Right on. Yeah, and they were magnificent. But yeah, the Angler's Bar downtown here has a Friday night fish fish fry, as do a lot of the places around here. What's the local fly shop, if there is one? Hayward Fly Fishing Company. Okay. Um, starting to get to know those guys already. I had dinner with the owner a few nights ago, Stu, and... Um, I've actually already set up to do some art stuff for his store over at the Christmas holiday. And yeah, it's cool. seems like a great bunch of guys. That's fantastic. Now, my fly fishing club, the Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders, we had, a, it was not really a contest, but who could walk the shortest distance from the front door to catch a fish? How far <clears throat> would that be for you? Well, I would say so far it's been, well, I would say for sure there's a pond three quarters of a mile from here that I could catch a bluegill. But the good quality fishing, it's nine minutes to catch a, a big brown trout on the Namakagan River. Wow. Um, I speeded just to get it under 10 minutes that day, but I pulled it off. And then uh, it's about eight, seven or eight minutes to the Bass Lake that I'm talking about. So up there, you're going to have, within driving distance, all the lake run, steelhead, yep. browns, salmon, huge smallmouth, big largemouth. Musky, Northern's walleye. Yep. It's pretty any anything that we're missing? Well, the good trout fishing, you know, I mentioned like just trout. Brown, so yeah, we got good brown trout fishing. We got the brule, so we got good brook trout. Um, I'm near the headwaters of the brule, probably less than twenty miles away. Haven't even tapped into it yet. You know, I trout fished uh quite a bit in May and June because I, I fished the world championships over in Italy about three weeks ago. So I had to be tuned up for that. And I realized quickly there's so much trout water around here. It's ridiculous. But it's pretty slow right now. You know, it's it's warm. We have been not doing well at all the last couple days, weeks. We just get a lot of rain now and very heavy rain. Every rainstorm is a flash flood warning now. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of the rain you're probably getting on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. And then they're finally dredging one of the tidal creeks near us that's just filled in with sediment from all the, the rainstorms. The Army Corps of Engineer has to go in. It's not navigable now because it's... When I started fishing it, it would be waist deep at low tide, and now it's ankle deep or dry mostly. Wow. It's pretty wild. Yeah, they used to have holes that were five feet deep with carp, catfish, koi, tilapia. Who knows? Sounds like a blast. Yeah, you would have a good time at Four Mile Run. It's the sewage outflow, so the water's 65 degrees, 1,700 gallons a minute, and it connects to the Potomac. So in the winter, everything swims up there because of the warmth. You never know what you're going to see. Trout, koi, goldfish, all in the same spot. And so now that you've got a roof over your head, it's easier to have internet. Yeah. Are you a TV person? Do you stream stuff? We don't have a television, but I listen to uh, every single Cubs game every day on the radio. Right on. So whether if I'm driving, I've got XM in my car. You know, tonight they're not playing, but, you know, tomorrow I think is an afternoon game. So I'll, I'll probably plan my day. Maybe I'll mow the lawn when the Cubs are playing or something like that. What's your cold beer for after mowing the lawn with the Cubs game? 
Well, I would say nowadays it's Lion Kugel. Okay. And because when we're done, it's going to be like seven o'clock. I'll probably go right into a Moon Man New Glarus. I, don't I already had a Lion Kugel today when I was fishing. Excellent. And so I did the whole no TV thing. I tried going as far as I could, and somehow I was given two and then bought one. So I've got three now. <laughs> but they're they're off quite often. They're not. They're not really on. But one of them is so high definition. It's the kind when you walk into Costco or Best Buy and you have to stop because the graphics are so crazy. I was given one of those. And I, re I need to rewatch Star Wars and Harry Potter and a whole bunch of other movies now because it's so different. I've spoiled Yeah, yeah we're going to watch. It's just sports, really. Yeah, I'm getting ready for World Cup, and I'm glad English Premier is back on. My team is 18th out of 20 right now. In Premier League, so good. It's like the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, what about hot showers? Is that a? You guys just used to cold showers and traveling and van life. Uh, we can handle it, but uh, you know we're we're getting old. So if, if there's a hot shower available, we do enjoy it. But yeah, I mean a lot of the travels I did for my younger life, you know, just took like a yeah. Swimming last winter when we got the van, a lot of swimming. I was gonna say like what were the benefits of, of van life i'd say that would be one of them yeah i mean just seeing the country and being able to you know here there and everywhere when you want it's kind of nice not having to get a hotel or um you know when you stay at a friend's house or something and you know you really don't want to stay in their house because you like your privacy i'm like no we're fine in the driveway we got we got our bedroom out here so that's what we love about it the most it's just you know dude get up and go we'll probably take off in it tomorrow night it's kind of the plan what about wild cold weather how would you stay warm heater inside we got a propane heater in there um we didn't use it too much last year though you know we pretty much drove till about seven use the heat from what we drove drove with and you know about nine o'clock it starts getting real cold and then we just climb into bed and get up i get up and make the coffee and the next morning we get the heat going and start driving I'm very jealous for you. That's one of my dreams in life is to live on the road like that. Yeah, it's fun. I don't know. What about handshaking? Do you still finding people want to shake hands after a pandemic when they want to meet you? I'm yeah, I don't care. Still like Whatever you yeah, no, I don't care. I had the COVID this summer. I had it pretty good when I got home from Italy. I got home from Italy on uh, July 27th. And uh, I felt felt it coming on when I was flying home. And by the time I got home, I just told Granny. I, I called her from the Duluth airport. I said, "Don't even have contact with me. I'm going straight to the van. I'm pretty sure I got COVID. I got tested, and I had it." Oh, how long did that keep you down? I was like two weeks. I had it last winter. Yeah, I was, it was about a week and a half. It was ugly. I had the windows open, and I was in my Selk bag. Do you know what those are? The sleeping bags that you climb into and zip up. It's got arms and legs. You just look like oh, yeah. a stuffed animal. So I was super warm, but I had to have the windows open. Hey, you need a silk bag for your traveling. I tried to get my daughter to take hers to sleepaway camp, and she refused. I'm sure she regrets it. What about a story on Misty? Well, he's just, you know, a real good friend of mine that's really... Uh you know, turned me on to, not turn me on, but helped me be successful with probably the most difficult game fish on the planet. You know, Granny and I spent three months in India and Nepal trying to catch gold in Masir before we knew Misty. That would have been 2002. Wow. And, and uh, we never we never got one on the fly. We did resort to um, fishing the Ragi Ball, which is kind of a famous bait they use for giant carp over in Asia. And we got to hold some of those fish, we did not get one on the fly. And then Misty reached out to me like two years later. He's like, I read your stories. I'm from India. You should come over and fish with me. We'll get one on the fly. And I, I was like, yeah, I don't know how fast I'm coming back to India. And then he came to the States and tracked me down at a show. And I met, met him. In really? Yeah, he was over. He's, he's well-traveled. He's well-educated. Just a super, super amazing guy. And he tracked me down at one of the California shows. And I knew as he was walking to me, I'm like, holy crap, this is that Misty Dillon I've talked to on the email. And uh, he goes, nice to meet you, Mr. Kerr. When are you coming to India? I'm like, man, I feel like I have to come now because you came here to get me. 
And uh, so he and I have fished in India. We've had two extraordinary trips together. Incredible. Yeah, he's fun. We just had a good time at the fish concert in Maryland. Oh, nice. Yeah, his wife was getting down. She was, she was dancing. Yeah, Ikta is a trip. Yeah, we're yeah. trying to do a overnight float with my drift boat on the Shenandoah before the weather changes. Good. Try and do some carp sight casting and look for some big smallies. Oh, yeah, that'll be good. Well, maybe I should come down there one of these days and fish with you, too. That'd be fun. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got the whole shad run in the spring. That's what you should – that's like – that'd be your box of chocolate, you know, fishing because you don't know what you're getting. Yeah down there it could be every every year we're surprised by something we catch it's just the guys caught a sturgeon last year shad fishing no one's done that that we know of before wow what kind uh, of sturgeon are those atlantic okay so it was about a three footer i got my first white sturgeon on fly in march got two of them and today i had came very close to getting a lake sturgeon we see lake sturgeon every time we're floating this one river we did today. Like a four-footer today, and I got him to kind of make a move towards my clouser, but, you know, didn't get it. That's wild. Yeah, I saw two different guys today. I saw the, the lake sturgeon, then we have a smaller one. I can't remember that. I think it's the pallet sturgeon. And they look like they look like dinosaurs more than the big ones. They're crazy looking. Kind of remind me of that sawfish that they have down in the Keys. Right. What were you floating on? Like what, uh, what watercraft? From my drift boat. The, the blue one? Yep, the blue slide. Right. Actually, we took my buddies today, but that we being Granny been fishing out of the blue one. With all the trips in the Explorer, and I'm assuming that boat, any suggestions on maintaining <laughs> bearings? Go see somebody that knows how to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I had a guy, Victor, I need to get someone here, you know, because I drove it all the way from Idaho, 70 miles an hour, 80 miles the whole way, and now it's gotten dunked a few times this year. The boat trailer was outside all winter here in northern Wisconsin because I kind of had to abandon it at a friend's house, so I need to get it looked at. Yeah, my neighbors will drive by. They're like, again, I'm like, you have no idea. These things are just a mind of their own. Yeah, right. I'm not going far. I brackish water in DC. So you spend a lot of time out west, and the question's like, so Yellowstone got hit by some floods this year that were pretty traumatic, and hopefully those streams recover. But are there places people should fish before, you know, potentially catastrophic weather or climate change or things that are just declining before our eyes? With places you've been and the things you've seen. Yeah, I would say, like, and it's probably not at the top of most people's list, but uh, if there's any urgency, I would say you definitely want to go catch a Atlantic salmon. I would say it's uh, probably important to go to the Seychelles, you know. And those are big ticket items, so I know a lot of people just can't do that. But, you know, those are the ones that I'm going to as often as I can because I feel like that, you know, it's either going to get too expensive or too warm. Where's your Atlantic salmon destination, your favorite Iceland. one? Iceland? Yeah. It's the one I've had the most success at. I've been lucky to, to hit a few spots, you know, Norway and, you know, um, Scotland and uh, a little bit in Canada, a little bit in the U.S., but Iceland is the place for me. What season would you go? This is all I'm trying to plan all. This is my bucket list spot now. July, August are the two best months for Atlantic salmon fishing in Iceland. You okay. can catch them in September. I catch a few in June, but those are the two best months. I'm making a note of that. I hope listeners are too. Now I have some other fishing questions because you, you fished everywhere almost and for a lot of things and you've seen things and used a lot of gear. Does line color matter in certain situations? Is that a superstition people have? Um, it doesn't matter, I think, when it's on the water, but it doesn't matter when you're casting. Like there. today, today with the crystal clear water and some of the tailouts had some nice smallies, but we couldn't even land our, our fly to them because literally as the line was going through the air, you'd see the fish running. So we ended up, that's where we were fishing at Chernobyl. So we were making like, you know, a long, long cast, 67 feet, feeding out line and then feeding the fly down to the fish before our line even got near them. 
Yeah, I've been using thicker lines that also make a big splat too. Yeah, that's that bad. Can't be good. But right now we're looking for snakeheads along the shorelines because the babies are there. It's the shallow spot for them to breathe. So we're basically just creeping up on them with just leader sticking out and splatting a fly. And that is a mile and a half that direction. Well, that's cool. 27-inch snakehead adults. So I think Wednesday morning I'm going back out for those. Nice. Nice day, yeah. I was with a guide once who berated a client for wearing an orange hat. You ever seen somebody not catch a fish because of what they're wearing? Yeah. I've seen people scare fish because of what they're wearing, for sure. I've done it myself enough times. So uh, I'm not saying I don't wear an orange hat. I will when I'm fishing this fall because it's Wisconsin. Everybody's going to be deer hunting. But right. I will be cautious of letting the fish see me. I always am. And a discussion I've had, it mostly started when we were filming our movie for the film tour, Urban Lines. That you can smell when striped bass come into the airport section on the Potomac. Like there's a fishy smell. And yesterday we went over, it's just rowing and all of a sudden it just smelled like bass. Do you think there's, is that just an angler theory that we might be able to smell fish? Or do you think that's, there's actually fish there? Are we just uh, smelling something in the air? Well, I smell them. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times maybe people harvested some fish in the area and you smell that. But yeah, I know the smell. I know when I'm going to catch fish. When I'm getting eaten by mosquitoes and it smells like fish, it's about to get good. All right. Mental note for all the people taking notes. Go find mosquitoes. Okay. Rod prices. People, you'll see on every forum, every discussion, does rod, I've caught steelhead on $150 rods and three-foot catfish. They're, they're nice rods aesthetically. There's made in America. But if someone's trying to buy a rod for the first time, should they go with the absolute lowest price thinking that they're getting a deal or should they spend the extra money? And Well, I don't think a beginner has to get the top end rod, but I do think they need to spend, you know, at least a couple hundred bucks to get a good quality rod. You know, you buy something that's a piece of junk and you may not like the sport, even though you probably would have had you something that actually functioned. And I always tell people, you know, when it comes to the real expensive rods, there's a reason they're real expensive. They, they are better. So if money's not an object, even though you're a beginner, get the good stuff right off the bat. But, you know, $200, $300 rods nowadays, they're excellent. Excellent. Rod prices have gotten, I mean, you can buy anything now at at any price range, but I'm getting to the point now where I'm liking the aesthetics of my rod. Not necessarily seeing my rod when I'm casting it, but I like holding something that's a little more intricate than what I was fishing in my 20s and 30s. Yeah, well, I think most people know I'm a Winston guy, and you look at uh, what their top-end rods, I think they're the prettiest rods in the industry. I mean, they're incredible. The nickel silver, you know, the beautiful, you know, whatever type of wood, tiger maple they use in the real seat, depending on your rod, and that green color, pretty darn nice. Do you have a favorite Winston switch rod if you fish one? Not a big switch rod guy. Really? So my favorite Winston is, uh, you know, if there's one, if I had to throw them all away and just keep one, I'd keep my nine foot four weight, probably my Air 2 or my Pure. I have, inside. A, I have an 865 weight Winston, and it is beautiful. Yeah. Do you have much input into what they're producing? If Absolutely. Yeah, when they're making new rods, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll field test them. Yesterday, I had tag ends on my line, and we're fishing for bass, which, and it's fluorocarbon anyway. My client said, you don't care about tag ends? I was like, the biggest fish we caught last year, the fly was more tag ends than fly tie material. It had been used so many times. Any issues with tag ends besides maybe a small nymph where it's going to create drag? You know, I mean, if I got time to cut it off, I want my, you know, fly to look as good as it can. But actually, one of the most incredible fish I ever caught was... Uh, in a tournament in England, a very tough session, three-hour session, and there was 10 seconds left, and I had spotted this fish with, with a minute left. I threw it to him, and he refused my fly. He actually came out and looked at a Chernobyl. It's how I found the fish. There was a long cast because um, he was on the other bank, and, and the test, you're not allowed to get in the water. So I was casting from the bank I was on, and you have to cast upstream, dry fly only. So I just, through the snowball again, he refused it. I brought the fly in, changed it, put on a green drake, 
fast as I could, cut it, made another cast. The fish came out and refused it. I brought it in again, and my judge was like, dude, do you know what time it is? I'm like, well, he's like, I go, yes. Flipped it off, pulled out a, a spinner, green drake spinner. I knew this fish would eat it. I tied it on, and the guy was counting backwards. He's like, 10, 9. I didn't have time to cut the tag end off. I mean, I knew I would have got it expired. He, like seven, eight, six, I get my cast. I hit the water, four seconds left for the tag end. The song fish comes out and engulfs my fly. I absolutely love that. And I landed him with force. You know, I hooked him. Then you have seven minutes to land the fish. So four seconds left to hook this fish. Did not take the time to cut my knot because there was no time. Wasn't worried about him not eating it at all. And there he went. He crushed it. What are the effectiveness of saying, here fishy, fishy, while out on the water? Is, is that d- draw them towards you? Does that improve fishing? Not, not for me, it doesn't. I, I let out a wahoo or a, give me some woo What about polarized lenses? Plastic versus glass, colors. What are your preferences? I like the, I like the glass because they're more durable and they don't scratch. Unfortunately, I've got a thin face, and a lot of times the glass ones will drive me crazy because they'll drop down. So I do have some plastic ones, but glass is best for most people. Color-wise, I wear my yellows about 75% of the time, you know, very light-colored amber. And then I have some, the copper lens, you know, the Costa coppers are like my second favorite. And I'll use those midday. Uh, I use those in salt water when I'm on sandy flats. I'm pretty much limited to just two. The only time I use grays is when I'm blue water fishing. Okay. Do you have a preference for a, a blue water species? Like what's the first one you'd suggest to people go hit? Uh, it's, I mean... Depends on what you really want to categorize bluefin or uh, blue water fish, but I mean, I like fishing false albacore, and I mean, technically they're they're coming inshore, but they spend a lot of time in in the uh, blue water. Um, the other thing I would say, like yellowfin tuna, if you get out of school, yellowfin tuna, that's incredibly fun, you know, blue water fishing and sailfish. I mean, sailfish, the Pacific sails are amazing. They're very cooperative. They're huge. They're beautiful. Good fish. I'm going to head down to uh, for straight marlin in, uh, in November. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Maybe get a wahoo, too. I've never got a wahoo on flight. The only ones I've ever seen, we were trolling in the Galapagos off the boat we were staying on. They cooked them for dinner. It's pretty good. I'm not a fish eater, but that was yeah. it. I was hungry. Wahoo. Yeah. Yeah, they are good. Yeah. We also were served feral Galapagos goat one night. Yeah, they were... They, Small kitchen, so they had to go get the food each day. It was pretty pretty crazy. Yeah. I was into that. Do you have any superstitions when fishing, like things you've got to do, maintain <clears throat> any habits? Not so much things I have to do, but um, like this morning, I was driving to fishing. I, we left at 4.30 this morning. The deer were everywhere. Like I literally, 55-mile-an-hour zone, I was doing, you know, 40 until it got light. And because I saw the animals, I felt like, you know, the deer and stuff, that it was going to be a good day of fishing. But whenever I see a predator, like, a, you know, a coyote or foxes, I believe the fishing is going to suck. I think they're out hunting because they can't find anything to eat, so they happen to get in the road. And uh, so my superstition, if I see a red fox cross the road, a lot of times I turn around and go home. Wow. That's an interesting one. What about irrational fears? Someone mentioned there's going to be a sloth cafe somewhere. And the idea that you could go and hang out with a sloth and drink coffee kind of horrifies me. Yeah, I've kind of overcome all my fears. I mean, my most, my last one would have been, you know, giant hairy spiders. But now I've been just submerged into their, their home so many times that I'm just kind of over it. What's the best sandwich you've eaten overseas and the, the best place to get a sandwich within U.S. states and territories? I would say my most recent one was Chaps Pit Beef in Rehoboth, Delaware. Got to stop there. I like, you know, Australian hamburgers with the eggs on them and the beef. Hard to beat that. Um, just incredible. And then for me, just a good old, you know, hot roast beef from the East Coast from Bob's. Uh, I think they're incredible. Nothing on it except salt and nice red heated up roast beef. You said Bob's? Yep. 
Where is that located? Boston. Boston. Places all around there. Bob's Roast Beach. It's unbelievable. All right. I'm going to put that on my list of places to when I'm going up north. Are there non-bucket list species like that you would go out of your way not to catch? When we're shad fishing and we know there's gizzard shad, I just really don't want to catch gizzard shad. They're just, ugh, they're gross. Yeah. I mean, I don't like catching trumpet fish when I'm down and fishing for rooster fish. You know, your, your fly, maybe you just drag it in the water for, for one second while you're doing something else and you got a trumpet fish on. And you got to wrestle with that thing to get it off. And then here comes a rooster and you can't get the fly out of your trumpet fish. So, or cornet fish. Those, those things yeah. drive me nuts. Crazy. Well, I, I'm happy with, but those are not. I haven't seen those since I was a kid. They used to live off the, the beach at my grandma's. We'd see them snorkeling. Yeah, they're cool looking. But, you know, they're a pain in the neck. I mean, the mouth is so small, yet they can take an entire clouser out of sight. Wow. Two time machine questions. Let's say it's a, a phone booth or uh, I don't know what else movies had time machines. Where would you go if you could fish somewhere before it was destroyed by industrial revolution and just human interference? I would like to uh, see what New England looked like when the pilgrims came. You know, the striped bass, the false albacore, the bluefin tuna, the bluefish all up on the shoreline. Just, you know, lobsters in six feet of water. I mean, it just had to have been incredible. That crystal clear water. Yep. If you could time travel back to fish with a pioneer in the world of fly fishing, someone that passed away before you ever got a chance to fish with them, anyone you would choose? Well, I mean, I should mention that the, probably the first one a lot of people say is Lee Wolf, and I was lucky I did fish with Lee Wolf a few times. Really? I got to yeah. hear that. Tell, well, tell he, one of those stories. He used to come to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, him and Joan. Uh, a lot of times they'd overlap it with a very well-known sports announcer back then, Kirk, Kirk Gowdy. Yeah. Like our fly shop was right in the main square, and they were friends with the, my boss, who was Jack Dennis, who owned the shop. And uh, a lot of times Jack would be like, uh, I need somebody to take Lee fishing for the afternoon. He doesn't have a car. And I'd be like, let's do it. Let's go make it happen. So I was very lucky to do that. As far as people that have passed away that I never did fish with, Joe Brooks would have been a great one. You know, I'd love to have seen him down in Argentina the first few times. Uh, let's, let's say Joe Brooks. Yeah, he he's a fascinating angler. Uh, with your traveling you've probably been exposed to some odd eats and drinks what's the strangest thing you've been offered to eat most of them i've eaten um the mayor's milk in mongolia was horrific stuff that was just terrible a horrific sounding thing that was very very delicious was raw turtle eggs down in kenjam in brazil um the locals you know they were taking us around the boats they were digging up turtle eggs and, you know, just dumping them in a bowl and mixing them up with brown sugar. And they handed me a bowl, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Um, but it was very good. It was very sweet and tasty, and, you know, I knew it was getting good nutrition. We ate them every day of the trip. Other than not drinking, what's a, a cure for hangovers that you seem to find? Uh, for me, just sweat. So maybe go for a run. Fishing is the ultimate cure. Like I could be hung over and once I get my rod and there's fish to be had, forgot about it. All better. That's yeah. A good run. All right. And then I still wrap things up. Is there a, is there a story that you've seen it all mostly? And I, I see strange things every day. Like yesterday there were guys throwing cast nets into a tidal section of pocket water below a dam. And then they were snorkeling down to look what was in it and then pulling it out. It was very strange. What's one of the like, just craziest things you've seen that you had to have been there to believe? Oh, gosh. Let me take a minute here. You should be the one doing a podcast on fishing stories. Yeah, I mean, I've seen so many bizarre things. Sometimes it's hard to even like focus on one on a spur of the moment like that. We saw guys spearfishing and noodling last month in the Potomac. That was strange. Yeah, probably the weirdest one that comes to mind was one, one time I was fishing for a gooch catfish in India. And uh, we were must fishing that trip too, but we took a day off. 
just to swing bait to catch this crazy catfish. And these local guys um, came up, they checked on us, you know, talked to our guides and Hindu, we don't know what they said, but they were in shorts and they had masks, no snorkels, and they had forks. And they were going through the rocks, through this rapid with their masks and their snorks and their forks. And they were putting minnows in a bucket and nymphs and frogs and every single small animal in this bag to take home and eat. And uh, I guess it's a delicacy to treat it like a stir fry, but that was wow. that was pretty bizarre. How fast was the water they were in? It was pretty fast. It was shallow, so they could hang on. But and like there's gooch in the water. Yeah, the gooch were in the deep pool down below. They were not in that shallow water. These guys were hitting the, the rapids in between every fishing hole. That was wow. weird. Yeah. So what's uh, summer's almost over? What's on your schedule? More Wisconsin explorations. Yeah, pretty much just fishing locally. In, in September, I got a, I'm going to head and fish for Team Yellow Dog in the Jackson Hole One Fly, which would be great fun because I get to visit all my friends, you know, after living there for 34 years. And then um, home for another month, and then Granny and I will be in Mexico for a month. All, all of November for me. She'll come down halfway through, and then we'll head back here in September and on in December for Christmas. Then show, show season. Yeah. Do you still have the mobile home? The van? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Yes. Right in the backyard right now. Oh, my goodness. Not going anywhere. Where can listeners purchase your artwork, books, hear you speak, etc.? My website is jeffcourier.com. There's all kinds of stuff on there. Um, You should definitely check out my blog. I've written about every day of fishing since October of 2009. Um, but there's a store button on there, so you can click on the store, and up will come all my products. Uh, my art button will show you some of my original work, and and then there'll be a cliff box thing, so you can make your cliff box order what fish you want on there. People send me stuff; I get information on that. So I got you know people are sending me their Yeti packs right now because I did that post yesterday. My books are on there for sale, although I'm getting real low on the saltwater book. As far as speaking, all my information's there as well as my schedule. So people can look at my 2023 schedule and see what shows I'm going to be at. It'll, it'll grow. Right now, I just have the fly fishing shows on there. But, you know, within the next couple of months, it'll, it'll grow strong. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, you're an absolutely unique person in the entire world of fly fishing. And I'm glad we got a time to hear some of your stories and van life and traveling today. Well, I'm glad to be with you. I'm sorry that we didn't get to do it last November. When we yeah. were Being homeless is, is a challenge. Absolutely. Fun too, though. All right. Well, watch out for deer, and hopefully there's no fox next time you're heading out. That's right. I don't want to shorten my day. That dude. All right. Thank you so much. You guys said thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Have a good evening.
Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.